Well, do me a favor and track down a Bible if you can and get with me to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1 is toward the very back of the Bible. It's a short little book, so it's kind of hard to find because uh, you can fly right by it and end up at the end. But it's right there. It's 1 John chapter 1. What we're doing now, uh, you know, as I think about Christmas season, uh, it's often a season that Ash and I will have all kinds of good intentions. You know, we're like, we want to, we've got small kids, we want to do a good job of just uh, taking advantage of the opportunities that Christmas affords us to really think through the arrival of our Savior. And so, you know, we, we think through what are some of the you know, Advent resources that we can engage with, and what are some of the stories that we can do with our kids, and how can we make sure that we help our kids to recognize the importance and the significance of the sending of the Son. But truthfully, a lot of times, um, when we think about what Christmas means, we, most people would have the exact right answer. You know, it's about the arrival of the Son, it's about the birth of Christ, it's all these different things, but we say it, and it really just kind of falls flat on our hearts. Like we don't really, it's not like this earth shattering thing uh, for many of us. We, we know what it's about, but, but often years will fly by and it will not have that life changing reality that I think it's intended to every single year and every single time we talk about it. So what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in the book of First John over these next few weekends and on our Christmas Eve service as well. And we're going to look at these different purpose statements that are tucked into that letter, where John is saying, the sun has arrived, here's why. And uh, ordinarily, um, during the Christmas season, we look at the narratives, we look at the, you know, the virgin birth of the Lord, we look at the angel visitations, we look at shepherds out in the field, and magi coming from the distance, and all these different things. Um, and that's a, that's a great way to interact with, with Christmas. But this year, we're going to spend some time going into this letter and looking at these different paragraphs that say, here's why this matters. The Lord appeared so that these things can happen. So let's read it. This is 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. We'll read it, we'll pray, and we'll get to work. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Let's pray. Lord, as we've opened the word together, would you open our hearts to you? Would you, by your spirit, through your word, speak to each of us and help us to know what you intended when you sent your son? We pray all of this in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Let me show you the logic of the paragraph just so you can feel that this is a Christmas passage. If you're looking at it, the paragraph just simply kind of, you're trying to figure out what, what is he saying here? What's, what is he suggesting here? He's saying something has arrived. There is an arrival. There's an appearance. And that thing, he describes it as life. He describes it as eternal life. But then we find out, well, it's not just this idea. It's tangible. He can touch it. He has heard it. He has 
beheld it with his own eyes and he, he felt it. So, so it's not just an idea, it's actually a person. The Lord himself has appeared and then he tells us why. He says, so that you might have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So this is, this is a message about the appearing or the advent, the arrival of the Lord. And here's the reason why. So that you might have fellowship. So four things here. First, it is a real arrival. It is a real arrival. It is a physical, historical, verifiable thing that happened. This is not just an idea floating around in the abstract. This happened. So when John writes, he says, we saw this. We heard this. Look at verse one, that which was from the beginning, we have, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim. So this was something that he personally interacted with in a very physical and tangible way. As uh, Dr. Yar uh, Robert Yarbrough says, this follows kind of the pattern of a legal proceeding. You know, in our, in our courtroom uh, system, in our court system, what we would do is we would swear people in. We would say, okay, you know, put your hand on a Bible and, you know, testify that you're going to tell the truth. And then usually an attorney would ask a line of questions to try to establish why that person is on the stand. Well, in the first century, when there was a legal proceeding, they would follow this pattern. They would say, here's why I have credibility to speak into this matter, and here is why it actually matters. And so that's what John is doing for us in his introduction. He's saying, look, I was there. I saw this. I, I heard him teach. I observed with my own eyes. I physically touched this reality. There is life that has appeared, and this life is Jesus the Christ. So he goes on in verse 2 to say, the one which was with the Father and has appeared to us. He is talking about the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is a real arrival. It is not just an idea. It's not just theory. It's not just a philosophy of life that if you believe in these concepts, it could, you know, it could, be, it could make an improvement for you. No, there is something about Christianity that is gritty. There's something about Christianity that is real. It is the fact that it actually happened. It was a historical reality that God sent his son. And that would therefore change everything about how we interact with the physical world in which we live. Now, <clears throat> a part of why John was dealing with this and speaking in this way was because in the first century, there were false teachers who were trying to say that Christianity was something different than a physical reality. There was a, there was a group of teachers called the Gnostics, and I know you're probably like, Cor, I didn't come to church to learn about weird things like Gnosticism, but here we are. Gnostics were a group of people who said, you can go into Christianity 101 and learn some things about God, but there's a higher level. There is a special knowledge for those that want to experience the spiritual realities, <clears throat> excuse me, that are available to us. That was one of the features, that there was this kind of additional teaching, this additional knowledge that people had to work really hard to come to know. But then the second feature of Gnosticism was that they would look at the world and they would say, the material and the physical that is inherently evil. That's just something that we have, but that's not ideal. What we really want is this spiritual reality. 
The spiritual is the thing that, that we need to focus in on, and that's what we're hoping for. And John recognized, no, that is false. Those ideas, those, those conclusions that you've come up with, those are false conclusions. Those are, that's not right. That's not what God is actually up to. And when God sent his son, then what he's saying is God sent his son and that son took on humanity. That son had a physical body and we heard him teach and we saw him with our own eyes and we touched him. There's a physicality to Christianity. And that actually is really, really important for us. Here's what it does then. It dignifies the human experience. As Christians, we shouldn't be sitting around going, man, I can't, I can't wait to go into this like spiritual existence where all the physical stuff just kind of evaporates. And I don't have to worry about that anymore. No, no, no. Christianity touches down at the street level. And it says everything about the human experience is dignified. That the fact that we are embodied people really does matter. And what we do with our bodies really matters. And so it, it changes the way that we, like this afternoon, I plan to take a nap. And because of Christianity, that nap will be glorious. <laughs> Workers who are here today at the tree farm who are doing their work right now, they're doing something that is valuable because all of the human experience is dignified in Christianity. The physical experience of doing work. Did, did you know that Jesus was a worker? He was a builder. He made stuff with his hands. And so we don't go, well, that's just kind of secondary. That's kind of tertiary stuff. That's stuff we don't really care about. We just want to sit around and just think about Christianity and think about spiritual things. No, no, no. All of life in Christianity is dignified. So we can work as unto the Lord. When we gather around a table and we're sharing a meal and we're smelling things and tasting things, that all becomes worship. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So the, the, the arrival of Christ in that physical, objective, real experience in that first century, that all matters. And it matters in a profound way for us because then it says to us that we are humans and that we are physical people and that we go through life with our bodies. It, it means that everything that we do can actually be for God's glory. And that's a beautiful thing. Secondly, we, we have a word on life. So first, we have this idea of a real arrival. Secondly, we have this word on life. John, John is talking here, and he's saying, there's this, this life. The arrival of this one results in life. Look at verse 2. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. He describes the arrival of Christ as life appearing. It's a weird way to put it, but he says, life has appeared. We proclaim to you eternal life. Now, in our culture, we've got a couple different sayings that kind of point in this direction. We, we recognize that we were made for life. And so we say things like the good life. Like Ash and I, my wife and I, will sit around and we'll, uh, lately we've said this quite often, we'll say, man, what a good life we have. We look at our kids and the little people that they're becoming, and we look at our jobs and the work that we're able to do, and we look at our church and the season that we're in and the excitement that we have about the church, and uh, we look at the relationship that we have. We look at all these things, and we say, man, this is the good life, and we just kind of relish in it. We just enjoy it. 
It's a saying that we have. There's another saying that we have. It's, I think the kids say it more often than many of us would, but they say something is life. So, you know, if they're a gamer, they play video games, they would say gaming is life. That's the reason I exist, to stream video games. Or however they would fill that in, you could say, you know, fishing is life or, you know, woodworking is life or whatever. But, but we say something actually gives purpose and meaning to why I'm here. Now, all of us kind of have that built-in feature. We're, we're kind of reaching for what, what on earth actually gives me a meaning for my existence? What on, what on earth gives a purpose to my life? And John here is suggesting that it is actually a person who would give purpose and meaning to your life. And it's not you, and it's not your spouse, it's actually Jesus Christ. Jesus is the life that has appeared. He is the good life. He is life. Look at his other introduction. He wrote another book. It was the Gospel of John where he recounted the events of the life of Christ and their meaning there. But in the opening paragraph of his gospel, John chapter 1, it reads like this. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him, here it is again, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. He's connecting the dots between Jesus and life itself. He says he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. Jesus Christ is life. So if you're trying to figure out why on earth am I here, what am I supposed to be doing with my life, and you're doing that without reference to him, there's a reason why it's probably not working out very well. Because the Bible tells us that God made you and you were made to live in relationship, in reference to Jesus himself. He is life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Now, that life means that you can live the good life now, uh, an abundant life now, but it also points in a further direction. It tells us that this is life that goes on forever. This is eternal life. Again, if you're looking at our passage, it's, it tells us we, we have proclaimed to you eternal life. And in another place in John's other book, Jesus was praying and he described it like this. He said, now this is eternal life. This is what it is, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. So if you want to know how to live forever, how to have the good life that extends on into all of eternity it is through faith in Jesus Christ and what he can give. This is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. If you want to know how to be saved, the answer is very easy, Jesus. Christmas tells us that he showed up to bring life, and that life is eternal life. Well, third, then, we have this story worth telling. We have this message that needs to be talked about. And so John, as he's opening his letter here for us, he's telling us that he has a message that he is proclaiming. In fact, look at verses 1 to 3 and note the amount of times that he says proclaim or testify. So listen to this. It says, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, and testify to it. 
And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Over and over and over again, it's saying, there is something that I have to proclaim, that I have to testify to. There is a story that I have to tell. I have to make known to publish the reality of the arrival of this life. That's his job, and obviously his job is unique because he's an apostle, meaning he lived and he saw Jesus firsthand, and he had a responsibility to relay that information to other people. But I believe that all followers of Jesus actually inherit this calling, that we need to be people who are publishing the good news of the gospel, that we would want to tell people the story. There's a story worth telling. The Lord himself has arrived. The word of life has come into human our human experience, and that changes everything. So let's make known the good news of the gospel. Let's tell people that he has come and what that means for them. Let's, let's join in that telling the story. So every Christmas season, let's be sure that we're making known who he is and what he's done for us personally. And let's take advantage of some of the things that accompany that. I mean, when we throw up lights and we celebrate and we do all these different things, really it's meant to underline the significance of the event. So think about it like this, whether it's a wedding, a birthday party, whether it's a retirement party, a graduation, what do we do on those days? We, we pull people together and we create a special meal and we, we pull out decorations that don't ordinarily show up and we pull all that stuff out and we say, what we are acknowledging today is so significant that we're actually gonna, we're gonna help ourselves recognize how important it is. We're gonna decorate a cake. We're gonna, we're gonna you know, have special lights. We're gonna have special decor that we set out. And all of that meant is, is meant to help us recognize the significance of that event that we're celebrating. Now, obviously, that, you, that can get out of proportion and, and unhealthy, but when it's done healthily, it actually helps us to recognize this is significant. What we are talking about, what we are experiencing, what we're sharing in together is important enough that I'm gonna climb up on a ladder and put some, some lights on a tree. Like I just want everyone to know something special is happening. This is not an ordinary thing. God sent his son, that son has appeared, and that son has appeared to give us fellowship with God and with each other. That's the fourth thing that we find here. It's a joyful fellowship. The reason why he has appeared is so that we might have a relationship with God's people and with God himself. Look at verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He wants us to have a relationship with each other and with God himself. Um, he wants us to have a relationship with each other. Now, one of the things that I will spend my life doing, this is a part of uh, kind of the vision for me personally and hopefully Park City Church, um, one of the things that I really will work as hard as I possibly can on is recapturing the wonder of the local church. I want people to be so in love with the thought that they could be caught up into a fellowship with other believers that their entire lives would be marked by that. That they would be so, they would, feel, they would count it such a privilege to be a part of the community of God's 
faithful followers that they would, they would actually make some of the biggest choices in their life in reference to that. Um, so as uh, our young people grow up and they start to consider, what am I going to do vocationally? What am I going to do for a job? I hope that one of the leading factors in that would be their involvement with the local church. So they would be thinking not how can I make more money, how can I, you know, do something that I just love doing, but, they, but one of the main features that they would be thinking through is how can what I give 40 hours of my week ordinarily, how can that actually be used for the local church? How does that help me engage with the local church in a more prominent way? Or moving, you know, as people are thinking, you know, uh, should I move neighborhoods? Should, should we, you know, downsize or upsize or do whatever? If somebody's making that big of a choice in their life, one of the things that I hope will happen is that they would actually make that decision with reference to the local church. So not, can I get a bigger tax break? Or can I have better neighbors? Or, or any of those sorts of things? Or will that put us in a better school district so my kids have better education? But a major factor in even making a move like that would be, how can I be involved at a deeper level with the local church? Do I want to move closer to where my church gathers? Or do I want to go to a neighborhood where my church is not reaching it yet? But I'm going to make decisions like that in light of this fact that one of the reasons why Jesus has come is so that you might have fellowship with us. John is saying, so that you might come into this community of faith. And that is a significant reality. And I know it's an uphill battle because right now Christian culture wants to minimize the importance of the local church. Let's push back against that. And let's value what the Lord is doing in and through his people. But it's not just about the church. Ultimately, it's about fellowship with God. That's why it goes on to say our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. What, what God sent his Son to accomplish is a relationship with you. So that you might have fellowship with God's people. Oh, and by the way, here's the, the big thing to note. We have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You can actually come into the most incredible relationship in all of experience. It is a relationship with God. That's what Christmas is all about. It is about the saving faith that we express in Jesus Christ and the relationship, therefore, that we would have with God the Father and with his Son. So we want to encourage people to have that relationship. We want everyone who's a part of our church to have that relationship with, the God, with God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. We want people in our communities to come to know God in that personal and saving way. Well, finally, it's a joyful fellowship. It says in verse 4, we write this to make our joy complete. We're telling you about this. We're writing about this. We're speaking about this. We're publishing this so that our joy would be complete. We, we want people to hear the news of Jesus Christ, and we want them to share in that relationship. And in fact, by their experiencing of that and faith in him, that would make John's joy complete, or that would make my joy complete, to hear that more people are coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We want people to hear this message and to receive this invitation, and therefore to complete our joy. C.S. Lewis, uh, in his commentary on the Psalms, he talked about this idea, and he said, 
Uh, we'll put it up on the screen here in just a moment, but, or, or I think we will. But one of the points that he was making <clears throat> is that sometimes our joy is incomplete until we find a way to express it. That's a part of Christianity. It's not enough for us to just get together on a Sunday morning and sing a few songs and get up and leave. Christianity is so significant that, that we actually are obliged to share it. And until we do, we, sh we should feel like something's not done yet. Like this is incomplete. There's something that's so beautiful that I just want other people to know about. So when, uh, just here's a quick example. When they opened up a wakeboard park in Rockford, and the, the dude, I didn't know him. He's from Rockford. He moved away to New York and came back. He called me up and he said, hey, you know, a rumor on the street is I should talk to you about wakeboarding. And I said, yeah, let's do that. And we get together. He opens a wakeboard park. I become one of the biggest advocates for it. I'm like, I want everyone to know about this place. I want to I use the platform that I have to help people come to know that there is a wakeboard park. So I grew up without this sort of thing. And all of a sudden, bam, here it is in my hometown. This is incredible. I want to share that. That's how Christianity should feel to you. It's so significant to you that you just, want to, you just want everyone to know about it. You want your neighbors to know about it. You want your hairstylist to know about it. You're, you're at the grocery store and you're just talking about it because you're like, this is so awesome. I want everyone to hear this news. So Lewis and his reflections on the psalm, he puts it like this. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It's not out of a compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it, till it is expressed. It's frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he or she is, or to come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley in unexpe unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. He's saying, look, when you find something that you love, it, it feels incomplete until you're able to share that with somebody. It's so significant to you, but you want other people to know about it as well. Part of why Christmas happened, a part of why God sent his son is so that more people would know this news and we would be able to tell people it and it would make our joy complete. We would let people know the saving reality of God sending his son and, and that would make us incredibly happy. Let's be people who recognize the sending of the son and the opportunity for people to come into a relationship with God and the joy that that could bring us if we'll share it. Let's do that, church. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that over these next weekends that you would continue to remind us of the meaning of Christmas, of why you sent your son, the opportunity that that affords us to be good news people, to experience the saving faith, and then to share it with other people, to tell the news of Jesus Christ crucified and risen, to recognize how incredible that is, that it changes everything, including the nitty-gritty details of our physical lives. Lord, help us to do that, please. We pray in your name. Amen.